Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. Uh Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Pantheon. I am your host with the most, DJ Louie XIV. I want to thank you so much for coming back for another episode. You guys are the best. And I want to just very quickly take you through a few quick housekeeping things before we get into this week's stupendous episode. And I will do that with haste, which is not usually my strong suit. I I'm sure you know I'm a rambler, but I'm going to do this so judiciously. You're going to be so shocked. Okay. First up is that I want to say thank you again to everybody who has left me comments, ratings, reviews. They're incredible. I read every single one of them. They're uh, they're really helped me with the algorithm. I'm not pitching you guys again on doing this. Do it if you want. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much to everyone who's already doing it. Second, if you are enjoying the podcast and you like to talk about pop music with me and with other big pop fans, please go follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram and follow me, DJ Louie, L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Instagram and Twitter. All I do is talk about pop all day. I'm happy to get into it about anything, whether it's about the episode or it's not about the episode. If you want to DM me and talk about solar power, if you want to debate Doja Cat's new album and talk about Dr. Luke, I am there for all of that. So go follow me on social media. Third thing is that a new feature I am pleased to announce is debuting with this week's episode, which is that every episode will now come with an accompanying Spotify playlist that will be linked in the show notes. The playlist is going to include all the songs I talk about on the episode, as well as other songs I like by that week's artist. And I'm going to go back and do it for the old episodes at some point. And news about that will be available to you on Pop pantheon pod on instagram another good reason to follow it lastly if it's your first time listening to me go if you'd like check out the mini sode at the top of this feed that says what exactly is the pop pantheon that runs down the concept of the podcast it is not necessary it is only if you like kind of extra credit so with all of those things in mind let's just get into this week's topic which is justin timberlake an artist who i really think proves the value of what pop pantheon can do in terms of providing a venue to look back on an artist's career through a contemporary lens one where our culture has shifted our values have shifted and we can now sort of reassess everything in his career and everything related to janet Britt white male privilege, cultural appropriation, etc. with fresh eyes. And that's what this podcast attempts to do. So without further ado, here is Pop Pantheon, Justin Timberlake. Hey, 
There is perhaps no pop artist this side of Kanye West whose legacy has fallen more precipitously in the last few years than that of Justin Timberlake. Justin, who utterly dominated the landscape during the first half of the 2010s, has recently seen his peak achievements largely obscured, mostly rightly so, I would say, underneath a broader cultural reassessment of white male privilege, cultural appropriation, and his role, both implicit and explicit, in hobbling the careers of preeminent female pop stars of his day like Janet Jackson and Britney Spears. Justin entered the pop arena as part of the monumental late 90s boy band NSYNC, first as the young heartthrob of the group and later as its frontman and primary musical force. NSYNC rose quickly as one of the definitive teen pop acts of that era, spawning numerous generation-defining hits, most notably Max Martin produced bangers like Bye 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 and It's Gonna Be Me. Their second album, No Strings Attached, became the highest debuting album ever to that point, selling 2.4 million copies in its first week alone and turning Justin Timberlake into the emblematic male pop star of the boy band era. of NSYNC, Justin is also often noted as the gold standard for male pop stars making the leap from teeny bopper to bona fide adult superstar with his debut solo album 2002's Justified. Produced primarily by the Neptunes, the most dominant hip-hop producers of that day, Justified found Justin ditching the glistening pop sheen of NSYNC for music that was more conversant with hip-hop R&B and hip-hop tropes, giving this cooler, explicitly black form of music an adept vessel for white audiences. The album spawned four hits, including Like I Love You, and made Justin a bona fide adult star, unscathed even after the infamous incident at the 2003 Super Bowl, in which Justin inadvertently exposed Janet Jackson's breast, an event that effectively ended Janet's career while leaving Justin's fully and 100% intact. <laughs> his savvy moves towards artistic credibility, Justin followed Justified with an even bigger statement, his second album, 2006's Future Sex Love Sounds. Produced and co-written almost entirely with another hip-hop auteur producer, Timberland, this album ditched the smooth pop R&B aesthetics of Justified for a more brittle, challenging take on techno and dance music that generated not only three number one singles, but helped push the broader pop musical oeuvre out of the hip-hop and B of the early 2000s and into the dance music explosion that would define the later part of the decade. The record sold 10 million copies worldwide, was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, and made Justin both the coolest and most venerated mainstream artist of the middle part of that decade. After Future Sex Love Sounds and notable forays into acting, Justin pulled back from music almost entirely, not releasing his follow-up, The 2020 Experience, until nearly seven years after that record in 2013. 
By then, the pop landscape had shifted rather significantly, thanks in part to trends he had cultivated himself over a half a decade earlier. 2020 went on to be a successful album. In fact, it was the highest selling album of 2013. But it was snubbed by the Grammy Awards for Album of the Year, and while it spawned a number of hits, including Mirrors, it felt notably slighter in impact compared to his Imperial 2000s albums. Since then, his saccharine trolls soundtrack hit Can't Stop the Feeling Notwithstanding. Justin's legacy and musical success has deteriorated in broader pop culture pretty notably. His follow-ups to the 2020 experience, the 2020 experience part two in later 2013, and Man of the Woods in 2018 have both been commercial and critical failures. And in light of cultural reckonings on both the Super Bowl incident and his role in the cultural pylon to former girlfriend Britney Spears in the mid-aughts, Justin's standing in pop culture has diminished to an almost startling degree. Still, Justin stands as one of the preeminent pop stars of his generation. Over the span of his solo career, Justin has had 19 top 10s and five number one hits, along with four number one albums. He has sold 32 million records worldwide, won 10 Grammy Awards, the Contemporary Icon Award by the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the MTV Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award for his contributions to the art form of music videos. According to Billboard, he is the best performing male soloist in the history of the mainstream top 40. Time Magazine named him as one of the Time 100 most influential people in the world in both 2007 and 2013. On the pod this fine day to reassess Justin's music, legacy, assorted malfeasances, and how all of that interacts is music journalist formerly of both Gawker and Spin, the brilliant Jordan Sargent. All right, I'm here with Jordan Sargent. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm really happy to have you here. I've read your work for so many years. You're such a great thinker about pop, so this is a really great opportunity, and I'm so pleased to be able to discuss uh, a pretty, uh, I feel like, newly controversial pop star. Of course, we are talking about Justin Timberlake, just in case that wasn't clear. And of course, uh, you know, what's really interesting to me is that he was such sort of like pop's golden boy. He had a he had a kind of glimmering sheen on him for almost 20 years of his career. And it's really only been as culture has shifted that there's almost been like a retroactive reassessment of him. For sure. Yeah. To hang around that long and to maintain that sheen, I mean, it's... It's very, very few people who get to do that. And he, I think, scraped that height. You know, he was he was in that space for a minute. And you know, it, it's not necessarily like any shame on him that he's not like actually Michael Jackson or whatever. Like very few people really right. are of that, you know, and he but right. he's an interesting case of someone yeah. who you, you look at it and it's like as you start to slot these artists in the way that you do on this podcast, like he's someone who kind of got there and then kind of slipped off a little bit and it kind of shows like 
uh, how talented you have to be to really maintain where he was for a certain period of time and the way people talked about him. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, in a way, it's like as the notion of sort of white male privilege has become more foregrounded as something that we think about, I think a lot of people sort of look at Justin's almost failing up because if you look at the Janet Jackson incident and the way that that sort of destroyed her career and also the way that Britney's sort of fall from grace occurred simultaneously to that, it was like Justin emerged completely unscathed from either of those incidents in a way that I think people now look back on and kind of go like, wait a fucking second. Like this, you know, this, we we were willing to give this guy so much of the benefit of the doubt, you know? Yeah. I mean, his, yeah, history has been rewritten on him, been corrected on him. And one of the reasons why I thought he was such an interesting person for this exercise was that the the narratives have shifted so much on him really without a a lot of him doing much. (laughs) Like he's kind of just existed and, you know, done his, he's made his music, he's gone on tour. I mean, you know, recently, obviously, in the last year or two, he's picked up on this thread of the way people are looking back on certain things that he was involved with relationships with Brittany and Janet, et cetera, ways he acted at the time. And, you know, I think he's walked back or he's, I think, apologized to Janet. Obviously, this year he apologized to Brittany. Maybe he did both at the same time, actually. But clearly, he's sort of like yeah. acknowledged all this now. But for a long period of time, it was really just him being him doing his thing and just the ground shifted beneath him in like a very severe way. Yeah. And and almost like his lack of being able to notice it is emblematic of why I think people have reassessed him. Cause there is something almost like about his assumption of being the greatest or being this untouchable pop figure is part of, I think what people are irritated at him about in retrospect. Um, For sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, it's hard to say like without having talked to him, whether there was an ignorance on his part or whether that it was like an ego thing, like to what degree did he recognize that he was like occupying this space as like a manifestation of privilege and the things that culturally a lot of people have spent years trying to tear down. Like, did he understand at the time that he was occupying this role? I doubt it. Like, I think he, I think it's probably, I think there's probably been a reckoning within himself or like he's probably just had to realize recently like damn this is like yeah yeah i mean i i I just think that this discussion is definitely going to be a good opportunity for us to reassess his career and in terms of like talking about his achievements but also re-looking at everything through the lens of what we know now so let's rewind for a second i'm taking us on a journey back to the early 2000s justin is yeah, <laughs> don't you don't you miss it? It was a yes. good time, guys. <laughs> I was also going to say, take me back to the intense psychodramatic sexual drama that occurred within my own 10-year-old mind when discovering NSYNC <laughs> and realizing my deep abiding attraction to Justin Timberlake and starting me on I a know. series of years of deep personal reckoning <laughs> inside of myself. Nick Carter, so, I know. <laughs> Justin is a formative part of my own development, both he as was. a music listener and as a as a sexual being. But, sexual um, being, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. Yes, thank you. I feel seen. So basically, Justin at the end of NSYNC is grappling with a pretty rocky and hard transition to make that many boy banders have attempted before and failed. He is 
become sort of the superstar frontman of NSYNC. NSYNC is obviously one of the biggest boy bands of all time. And Justin's solo ambitions become clear to us like towards the end of NSYNC's run. And he becomes kind of the primary writer on a lot of songs on their third record, Celebrity. He is obviously like the heartthrob of the day. But at the same time, as we've seen over and over again, and we can look back in time before Justin and post-Justin, so many boy banders have tried and failed to make the leap to solo artists. So i just curious just to set this up for people. What are sort of boy banders writ large grappling with as they attempt to kind of break out from a teeny boy band and establish themselves as solo artists? What's the code they have to crack? I think it's just the respect of the artistry, you know? Like, I think... Obviously, music made by boy bands is probably the, some of the least respected music that like exists, you know, in general. Right. <laughs> and I think that's kind of changed now as people our age, millennials are in our mid 30s and we've make it so that Backstreet Boys can still sell out arenas to this day right. and we've taken over editor and writer positions and I think to some degree it's it's shifted. BTS probably is you know more respected well i don't yeah i i I don't know if that's true actually it's the poptimism thing i mean i think that generally speaking there was a movement that happened after nsync and backstreet boys where just pop generally speaking is given more respect than it was in the past for sure you know i think really like in this in talking about boy bands and artists solo artists trying to come from that like george michael i think is the most interesting one to think about for me because Mm. wham wasn't necessarily a boy band it was a boy band it wasn't a boy group but it was a it was a right. boy band and they made teeny bopper very boyish music and of course like the story of george michael's career is him grappling for respect and the way he made music and artistic just independence and i mean to some degree obviously there's the whole sexuality aspect of his career but you know he really tried really hard to step out on his own and he did so very successfully and he's an absolute utter genius he was writing producing his songs wham songs like he's he's someone who is able to kind of step out of the first thing and into the second thing just from the sheer might of his own talent um Mm. and it broke and it broke him i mean a lot of things did but you know it, it was it was a very tough road for him to travel and justin timberlake by contrast He's right. like kind of, you know, he's kind of like the... He he, he made it look easy in a way. He made it look easy and there were parts of it that were easier for him. I think it's, it's, it's a mystery, honestly, to what degree was Justin Timberlake really involved in songwriting early in his career. You know, if you look at the mm. credits, his name is on there. I don't think it's really any secret that a lot of superstars get writing credits on songs that, and we we really have no idea to what degree they actually contributed. To your to your point though, the, the, the sheer sort of act of getting those credits was clearly part of the plan here. I mean, you were sort of pointing out how establishing musical credibility is such a key aspect in making the jump from boy band to solo artist. And obviously one of the ways you do that is kind of go like, I'm writing the music, I'm involved in creating the music. 
I mean, the song that's sort of like pinging around my mind right now is the NSYNC song Gone, because when I think about Gone, which was sort of more or less a Justin solo record on NSYNC's final album, you definitely can hear uh, something quite distant and different from the Max Martin bops like Bye 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 and It's Gonna Be Me. This is like a almost like a stripped back mature R&B performance that like when you na- when you then go forward and listen to Justified, you can sort of hear Justin definitely attempting to sort of set the audience up for the artist that he was attempting to become at that time. There's a thousand words that I could say To make you come home Yeah Seems so long ago you walked away Left me alone I remember what you said to me You were acting so strange mm-hmm. And maybe I was too blind to see That you needed a change was And I believe, I believe that that song was written for Michael Jackson And wow. of course that whole thing is, is a shadow over you know is, or is hugely connected to justified but yeah you know i they were trying to break from max martin you know they obviously you know girlfriend from celebrity was written written, written with and produced by the neptunes They clearly were looking to, I think, assert themselves as tastemakers and as people with music taste and music ambitions that was not present in Bashy Boys, 98 Degrees. Right. And J.C. Chazay is a huge part of this, too. Really, if you go back and kind of look at who wrote these songs, it was the two of them. Um, you know, and I think Jay Z was they, more or less positioned as the front person early on. Correct. Yeah, and he was the better singer. He looked cooler. He was older. His right. his solo career could be its own small podcast. But like, let's give our flowers to blowing me up with her love. But yeah, you know, NSYNC clearly they were aiming for something that Backstreet Boys were not. Right. And you know, actually, I read a quote from from Justin back when I was kind of reading some stuff before doing this podcast, where he was talking about albums like he was listening to, you know, like early Missy Elliott when he was like a Mm. teenager, being like, "Holy shit, I have to work with this guy." Obviously. Timbaland came later in his career, but just that kind of nexus of producer, Missy Farrell and and Timbaland are tied back to the beginning of their own careers. Like they, there was a, a musical influence that those guys had on Timberlake from an early age as a teenager that right. started to manifest itself at the end of In Sync. And those are right. great songs, you know. Absolutely, those, and those In Sync songs are, are great. All of them. I mean, I and I love the Max Martin ones too. But I think one of the things that's really of interesting course, is, no, are, yes. <laughs> I, no, I want no, to be no, on the record. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not shitting on old Insane. It's all. It's all great. But no, 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 in no. Particular. I know you have taste, Jordan. But the thing is that I think that you're getting at, which is so important, is the move towards credibility that Justin was making was largely rooted in bringing hip hop and R and B influences into their music in a way that Backstreet wasn't able to do. Like what the Neptunes and Timberland were doing at that time. Yeah, Yes, I guess they had worked with Britney prior to Justified, and there was they were making forays into making pop music. Yeah. 
with the Neptunes uh, in particular, were sort of blowing up at that point as were more or less hip hop producers that were taking rappers and putting them into a popular context. Like their hits up to that point were with Nori and with Busta Rhymes and you know, Jay-Z. I just want you to know, it ain't where I've been, but where I'm about to go. What Justin was doing in order to sort of attain credibility was sort of incorporating more overtly hip hop into what he was doing. For sure. You really can slot the pop music of that time into like three pretty distinct groups. You know, there were, I would say four. There were the boy bands, one. And then there were female pop stars, the women. There were, you know, Britney, right. Christina, Janet, Madonna, Jennifer Lopez. There were rock groups. There was Limp Bizkit and Blink-182, et cetera. And then there were rappers. You know, if, right. you, if you look back at, like, the TRL charts, you see a very consistent pattern or buckets of artists. And one of them was Nelly, Jay-Z, Eminem, that right. kind of rap. And, you know, Nelly appeared on a, on the remix of Girlfriend and obviously Nelly right. hot in here was Pharrell and Jay-Z and Timbaland and Pharrell were hugely collaborative at the time. They right. were clearly bringing that part of contemporary pop music at the time into their sound in a way that other boy bands just were not, were not doing. Right. Let's talk about Justified. So Justified is Justin's debut album that comes out in 2002. It is primarily produced by Pharrell and the Neptunes. And looking back at it, bears their mark quite heavily. Pharrell has a very, very, especially at that time, specific sound. It's almost like space-aged funk with the hip. I don't know. Space-aged funk hip-hop is the best way that I can sort of think about it. It's it's a sound that's I think would be highly recognizable to anyone that grew up in that time. And when you go back and listen to Justified, you really, really, really hear that sort of Neptune stamp on the whole thing. Reminds me of this. Uh, there's a segment that Jimmy Fallon and the Roots do where they like play pop songs on toy instruments. And like to me, it's like I listen to a lot of these old Neptune songs and I'm like, they sound sounds like they're making these songs on toys. Now, that's not to mean that like a lot of them aren't still incredible. Right. It had like a video game. Yeah, there's like, it. it's, you know, there's this kind of like a uh, rinky dink kind of cheapness to mm. the way a lot of that music sounds. Mm. And I think Justified's an incredible case study in that because the singles to me really do hold up i mean i'm not gonna sit here and say a bad word about like i love you rock your body senorita like those are all to me like 10 out of 10 like i have not a single bad word to say about those singles but listening back to the album a the songwriting is not that good but b a lot of the production (laughs) isn't that good either like you know the album tracks on justified to me don't really hold up really all that well and i find i found myself being like you know honestly the singles from this record are really great the rest of it yeah like it's not not really necessary and actually i think part of it was that they recorded the album very quickly obviously it's hard to remember now but reading back there was a, a time frame of like transitioning him to a solo career where it was 
kind of protracted and like they were working in a very short time period, whereas his later records were made over the span of like a year or two. So I think mm. that probably has something to do with it. But I do think that there's something about the Neptune's productions from that time that, yeah, it just it, it doesn't quite hold up for me. Yeah, that record. that's interesting. I mean, I think the Neptune's productions are very stuck in time in a certain way. I, I think I like it better than you do, but I get your point. One thing I did want to point out about the Neptune singles on this album, which are Like I Love You, Rock Your Body and Senorita, and I'll zero in on Like I Love You in particular, kind of warped the Neptune's formula in a way by sort of adding organic instrumentation into it, which I sort of hadn't really picked up on totally, but when I went and listened sure. to it today, it's it, they, I believe those are live drums. Feel good, right? Listen. I kinda it almost sounded more like an NERD song to me, which was Pharrell's sort of like solo side rock influence project. Do you really even love me? If you do, there is no pain. does like more of the sort of like prototypical Neptune songs uh, yeah, which rock which sure. rock your body sounds more to me like a prototypical Neptune a great prototypical Neptune song yeah you know there's the kind of like opening guitar strums of um, right. like I love you just something about you when I'm looking at you whatever keep looking at me there's more texture to that than you like would typically hear I think from a lot of the productions of the time and a lot of the other songs on the record. Senorita as well also sort of centers around organic instrumentation um, in a way that like most sure. Neptune songs are sort of, you know, explicitly electronic. we have these Neptune songs that sort of form the backbone of Justified and sort of provide the majority of the hits as we mentioned Senorita, Like I Love You, Rock Your Body, which sort of toggle the line between the sort of more electronified, sorry, that's not a word, but you get what I'm saying, music that the Neptunes are known for, the space age funk of Rock Your Body that sort of draws on their hip hop productions that we were familiar with. And then we have these sort of organic elements that are introduced on songs like Like I Love You and Senorita, uh, that are the backbone of this album. But I do think we should spend a second on the fourth single, not chronologically, but the other huge hit from this album that wasn't produced by the Neptunes, Cry Me a River, because it is the formation of the duo of Justin Timberlake and Timberland, which goes on to kind of define the rest of Justin's career, making it probably one of the most interesting songs on Justified. And also, I think, as you pointed out to me in our emails before we started this, like... The Timberland's production, I think, you would agree, holds up better in many ways than some of these Neptune songs. You were my sun. You were my earth. You didn't know all the ways I loved you. No. So you took a chance. Made of a plan. But I bet you didn't think that they would come crashing down. No. 
And I think we should spend a brief beat on the music video because part of the sort of cultural reassessment factor on Crimea River is that that w- the, the video in particular featured a Britney lookalike and features kind of a revenge fantasy in which Justin stalks his ex-girlfriend who cheated on him in a sort of sinister way that I think that people now look back on and sort of see uh, in a different light, let's say, than they did before. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. As, uh, just on the on the subject of the Crimea, Crimea River video, I mean, you know, at the time, it, it had its own set of controversy at the time. I was reading back a Rolling Stone cover story from the Justified era, and really the whole thing, based on the timing of when the reporter did the story is about the controversy routed from the Crimea River video. And actually in that story, Timberlake gives a quote where he's like, to me, I'm actually the villain of the video. I'm the one who's being a creep. I'm doing the weird shit. Now, I think part of that was probably him hedging from some of the reaction. But I also do think that over time, people have decided to to recognize the negative aspects of that video or at the time they were recognized but there was really no consequence for it or no reckoning with it it was like right well like you know justin timberlake kind of comes off like a d-bag but hey he she cheated on him you know like there was just right. kind of like it was kind of accepted that the that the guy would just like be a like a d-bag <laughs> like to right. like to the woman in that in that scenario and there wasn't really like a further reckoning with what all of that meant and like Mm. now only now are we kind of getting to that but at the time there was a certain level of controversy a a negative press associated with him and he kind of shies away from discussing it so heavily in the story even though the writer is really trying to frame it all around the controversy generated by the story he seems to kind of want to shy away from it because he understood that like it didn't necessarily like make him look so good right but obviously nothing negative happened to him for many many years so yeah well you know and the other thing that i sort of walk away from justified thinking is it it achieved many important things you know i i think yes i take your point about the music sounded dated at the time it sounded very cutting edge for a boy bander to be making the music that he was making which you know oh, and and part of the innovation was sort of the active engaging with hip hop sounds and tropes in a way that at that time i think now we would look back on a white guy doing that with a lot more of like a side eye at that at that time it was viewed purely as sort of like look at the credibility of this man he is an innovator in terms of like in Engaging with this cooler style of music and sort of bringing it into the mainstream almost or bringing it to white teen girls to sort of giving them an access point to this like cooler style of music. And I think sort of by addressing this very adult scandal in terms of Crimea River, both in the video and in the content of the song about cheating and about sex and all of these things, Justin was obviously looking to sort of foreground himself as like an adult mature man who dealt with sort of intense sexual drama in his music almost like his billy jean or something in a way that like announces like hey i'm an adult mature artist who's like not singing this music just for sort of like teen girls anymore this is like hip-hop adjacent music that deals with psychosexual theme and that maturity thing is sort of achieved both by what the song and video are talking about and sort of presenting a visual representation of and in terms of like the content of how the music sounded thanks to timberland and pharrell you know for sure i mean one of the great aspects of Justin Timberlake's career is just an incredible confluence of timing for him where he came up 
as a musician and as a pop star. At the time of Timbaland and the Neptunes, two of the greatest, or three of the, I should say, three of the greatest producers ever. You know, like he really, he was born at the right time. Like, and, but, you know, to his credit, he did engage them. And I, I do think that you can read it very cynically and like, well, of course you would pair him with them. And of course they would want to do that for his credibility, et cetera. Like, you know, it seems kind of easy in retrospect or once it's already been done, but you know, he did really engage those guys and really wanted to work with them. Right. And that's to his credit. He made himself available or, you know, what's the, there's some, uh, there's some saying about luck and how you make your right. own luck or whatever. Like to some right. degree, you know, he kind of made his own luck. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that the album really achieves, and this is something that carries forth through the Justin discography is he really put a huge amount of focus on it being an album auteur. Like these are not grab bag albums and justified bears this out. It's like, these are, he really wanted to share a sort of cohesive point of view, at least aesthetically. Justin isn't necessarily like a particularly deep or innovative lyricist. And I think that's putting it generously. I want to be a lake or your bay. But I do think that he um, has always taken the album as an art form quite seriously. And when you go back and listen to Justified, this is a unified piece of work in a way that many pop stars albums at this particular moment weren't. It's like if you go back and listen to Britney's self-titled album that came out the year before, which I love, it is a total grab bag. You have the Neptune songs, you have the Max Martin song. I mean, it is all over the fucking place. When you listen to Justified, he really was trying to position himself as an artiste in a way. And as you were saying, it's like sometimes pop stardom is about just knowing how to editorially pick the right people to deliver what you need. And I think Justified and all of Justin's albums bear out that he does have a good eye or at least did at this time for sort of how to achieve that. And that I think was such a critical part of his establishment as a solo artist. And as as you were getting at earlier in the conversation establishing the credibility because these were albums this was an album to be taken as an album and even if some of the filler tracks don't hold up as well there's a cohesion to it that i think was integral in sort of him making the transition from boy bander to credible solo artist for sure the i think the other thing that um is sort of an interesting in uh thing that we should sort of bring up here is many male pop stars at this time and many of justin's idols whether they be michael prince these are very androgynous androgynous presenting men and Justin I feel like was absolutely like this was a very heterosexual bro-y era of pop and Justin's presentation and you know I'd be interested to hear a if you agree and b why you think this is was very very sort of even though it was pop and geared towards like teeny teen girls in a lot of ways there was something very kind of like he had like a mask presentation to him in this way that like you could never say about michael jackson or prince or anything you know what i mean yeah absolutely that era of pop culture was really hetero i mean you know like again we were kind of talking about who made it big on trl it was right women who boys could sexualize that's one group right and putting right then take, taking the men from that group, it was rappers, it was Limp Bizkit, it was Blink-182, right. it was r- right. straight as hell. Like, it was really very so straight. straight. You know, the influence of, of hip-hop, which is an insanely masculine genre. A lot of the reckoning around Britney in general that's happening currently is really reckoning with 
how masculine and heterosexual that era of pop music was. I mean, Carson Daly, you know, think back to Eminem, like, what's the line? Like, he's sitting between Carson Daly and Fred Durst, yeah, arguing over who Christina gave head. Guys can just lie to get me here, so you can sit me here next to Britney Spears. You say Christina Aguilera better switch me chairs so I can sit next to Carson Daly and Fred Durst and hear him argue over who she gave head to first. This is, you know, a Carson Carson Daly was like fucking um, Edward, Mur you know, our Murrow yeah. of of <laughs> of our time, and like he's was like a you know one of the straightest possible dudes you could come up with like yeah. you know all all the avatars for sexuality at that time were really straight dudes like that mm -hmm. kind of androgyny had had really been sapped out of pop to a, yep. to a large degree yeah I, I once read a really interesting piece that i'm not going to be smart enough to elaborate on this but that essentially sort of like post the aids crisis there was such an association between male androgyny and sort of illness and death and the sort of like death mark that that was part of the reason that culture sort of shifted towards more of this heteronormative presentation yeah. and i uh you know and and it's true i mean it's like britney and justin were the prom king and queen that was like the total vibe of them and that was sort of how pop culture felt at that time it was almost like it almost had a very sort of like heteronormative high school vibe to it. I was almost going to say Carson Daly is the Edward R. Murrow, but he was also almost like the cool guy principal of like this giant high school of like straight sure. white people. So I think it goes without saying Justified is a smash hit. Justin, I think it's pretty much the gold standard in a male pop star making the leap from boy band to pop star. He is absolutely humongous all four of the singles are smash hits he is he completely sort of leaves the boy bander image and shit behind where does justin fit in who are the other sort of male pop stars that justin's in conversation with in that sort of 2002 to 2000 whatever four or five era like what else is happening in pop and what else is happening specifically with male pop stars like who are justin's contemporaries and what are they doing and where does justin fit in yeah, they don't exist. File not found. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I mean, Usher, some, Usher was the one uh, that was in my mind. Yeah, Usher, Usher, yeah, Usher is really the only one. I mean, if you look back, this was the time where I think that rap had just fully become pop music and right. male male rap stars. I mean, Jay Z was the was the male pop star of the time, and and I would never want to erase Usher from any discussion. Uh, and there was no Bobby Brown, but you know Usher was yeah. also doing R and B at the time. Really, right. you know, he was really pre-confessions. Correct. It wasn't, you know, he he was obviously super famous, but he was he was working in a different space, and I think speaking to a different audience. Mm. You know, there 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 isn't a lot of Usher on TRL in the late nineties, right. even though right. putting classics out at the you know his in ninety six he was putting out classics, right. but like he 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 didn't cross over to that TRL demographic it was really just rappers so right. you know timberlake right. was able to kind of become the the white pop star who was had elements of blackness to him if you listen to pharrell or read articles about him or just listen to him you know yeah. so he, he was able to, he was able to kind of like fill a space as a white person that's you know it's it's absolutely so fascinating what you're saying because it's it's really true when you look back and it plays into this narrative of luck because in a way it was like he had the field was cleared for him in a certain sense like it, what you're helping me sort of understand here is like justin's um he played his cards very cannily but he was un he really was sort of unchallenged as like this space was wide open for him to fill. Okay, so I want to move us on to talking about 
Justin's next record. So after the success of Justified, Justin takes quite a bit of time in between his solo album, his first solo album and Future Sex Love Sound, his second album. What is the sort of drag what are the what is the concept behind future sex love sound like what is he doing what's the story of that album he this is the period where he really understands that he's been placed in the lineage of the great pop stars of all time the princes the michael jacksons david bowie is uh one of the main influences that he cites on this record and i think he really sees like, okay, it's my turn to make this really hypersexual, controversial record. And if you read his quotes about how they made Sexy back, Timbaland makes this beat and Justin goes into the recording booth and he thinks to himself, what's the most provocative thing I could say? And he says, I'm bringing Sexy back. I'm bringing Sexy back, yeah. None of it was written. It was really him and Timbaland kind of going back and forth. He really wanted it to be super provocative. I feel like in a way, Justified is very defined by smoothness. And Future Sex Love Sound, and I just want to set this up for the audience, is a record that through actually a label dispute, he was unable to work with Pharrell again, which I think ended up very much benefiting him at this particular turn in his career. So he ends up making this whole record with Timberland and a then unknown protege of Timberland's called Danger. So if Justified is about smoothness, I think when I was looking back and listening to Future Sex Love Sound, it is honestly in certain places quite um i don't want to use the word grating because i enjoy it but it's sharp edged and sort of like dissonant almost in some ways in the way that it sounds She's This is another sort of huge pop auteur statement. This is a record that is meant to be a cohesive statement. And I think you can hear in a way, like the, the as you were getting at sort of the challenges that he was trying to present to himself in terms of pushing music forward and pushing what he's doing forward. Well, you know, I think, you know, there's twin stories. There's Justin's story and his evolution as an artist. And there's Timbaland's story and his evolution as a producer by this time in the mid 2000s had kind of shifted into this really very pure pop and very kind of expensive uh gleaming kind of like synth tones the percussion kind of alluded to his old beatbox style and kind of complicated um, percussion rhythms and stuff but it was a bit more streamlined and obviously future sex love sounds was kind of rising at the same time that Nelly Furtado's Loose was, you know, it was a huge, it was a huge time for Timbaland. Obviously they all sort of were kind of collaborating together. I think to me, like really, I think about that era of mid-2000s pop and Timbaland's role in it, him making these records that sounded like really kind of big-budget, streamlined records. You know, they weren't as weird as what he was doing for 
Missy Elliott or Aaliyah. And, you know, you can kind of hear some of it in Brandy's uh, Aphrodisiac album, I believe. That was uh, heavily produced by Timbaland also. At Brandy Aphrodisiac Connection is so brilliant because it really, you can draw a straight line between Crimea River. <laughs> You know, records like I Tried or Focus from that Brandy record. Straight through, like, what goes around comes around or my love. I mean, these are, there's a, there's a thread to be drawn there, like straight through Timberland's production discography. And I also think one of the innovations that I sort of pinpoint on that is the infusion of electronic dance music. Justified engaged in plenty of dance music tropes. I'm not trying to say that that was like not happening on that record, but there was a certain sort For of sure. like Euro dance sheen that just, that I think was part of Danger's uh, bringing, what Danger was bringing to the table yeah. on it. Um, yeah. Because I mean, you can, you can really hear it on Blackout, which came out the next year that danger produced really heavily you can definitely hear the shift from like the roots of funk and soul in justified into house techno still black music just a different kind of black music and it's actually interesting if you go back and read stories from future sex love sounds you know justin timberlake is talking a lot about david bowie he's talking a lot about prince a lot about Bowie, which is kind of odd, but a lot about Bowie, a lot about Prince. But if you read quotes from Danger at the time, he's like, yeah, you know, I was going to like house and techno clubs and like watching people spaz out to this music. So that's what I was bringing to the table. So like the, you know, it really is rooted in that. And like, honestly, it reminds me of Daft Punk. It feels similar in, in my head, like the Daft Punk of the Coachella era where they were like in this kind of spaceship apparatus on stage with these crazy light right. like and everything and you're like damn this shit looks like it cost you know 50 million dollars <laughs> and it's all like so yeah. incredible and like futuristic and like expensive and like I, I think like they were kind of circling the same space here and obviously EDM is roots back almost specifically to this era of Daft Punk's live show <laughs> Yeah, the Daft Punk connection is truly fascinating because I do sort of often think of Future Sex Love Sound as the bridge between the hip-hop and B of the late 2000s of Jennifer Lopez and... Gwen Stefani, et cetera, et cetera, and Justified, obviously, and sort of the dance music explosion that followed with Lady Gaga, et cetera. And I think it's important to highlight when talking about Future Sex Love Sound, sort of the risk that they took in embracing that kind of music, which had not historically been very popular on American radio. I think it's very rare for us to point to a mainstream big budget pop album and say this was truly innovative, but I do think the innovation of Future Sex Love Sound was it really did, as you were saying, by incorporating the sounds of Daft Punk and by incorporating the sounds of sort of like house and techno music that Danger was into, it really helped set up the next almost, you know, eight years of pop music by by sort of announcing the arrival of big tent dance music into pop. And it was able, I guess, through the sort of like Timberland connection to hip hop, it was able to sort of thread the line between hip hop and dance music and sort of create the bridge in a sense.
For sure. I mean, if you know, if you think about like the single from Justified that had a rap feature on it, which was obviously like I Love You with the clips, and then the single from Future Sex that have a, had a rap verse on it, which was T.I. on My Love, the clips are rapping over something that they would basically have normally rapped over from Pharrell. Right. But like, you know, T.I. never would have right. like rapped over a beat that sounded like his part on my love. Yeah, these stuttering club-oriented Europop synthesizers. Hold up, what you mean you can't go wild? Me and your boyfriend, we ain't no tie. You say you want to kick it when I ain't so high. Well, baby, it's obvious that I ain't your guy. I ain't gon' lie. Be in your space and forget your face, I swear I will. Say Bart's and Bullet anywhere I cheer. Just bring with me a pair, I will. I can see us holding hands, walking on the beach, our toes in the sand. They had traveled a pretty far distance, sonically. Uh, in that time period between those two albums. Yeah, I mean, I, when I was listening back to it, I was like, this is rather daring for a major pop album. Even the way that Justin's singing on a song like Sexy Back, he ditches the falsetto almost completely, and he's more or less kind of growling come-ons in this way that you wouldn't necessarily have expected from sort of like the consummate entertainer sheen that he had sort of brought to Justify. Dirty babe, you see these shackles, baby, on this way. It's a genuinely risky album in that sense. Yeah, and it's not necessarily really even written like a pop song. I mean, there there is a verse and a chorus, etc. But it's it comes off more as a dance record where the vocals are like functional, and yeah. it's really about the the beat. The production is what matters, and. Justin said that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the way they recorded that was he compared it to like a cipher of him and Timbaland kind of like going back and forth. And obviously Timbaland's vocals are very prominent in that song as like encouragement or ad libs for Justin. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. I'm bringing sexy back. Yeah. You know that. And that's really how he describes them mm. having recorded it was like not even really writing anything down, not thinking right. about verse, chorus, bridge. And when you listen to it, it, it doesn't feel structured in a typical pop song way. It's not a huge diversion, obviously, but mm. it, it, it's, it kind of moves a, a little bit away from that kind of songwriting. Yeah, it treads that line really expertly, I find, looking back between sort of being accessible enough to to spawn three number one hit singles as it did, but also being yeah. almost brittle and turgid in the way that it sounds. A so like, Sexy Back is... That beat is brittle. It is, it is, it's, it's stuttering and dissonant in a way that like, you know, I, 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 you don't often get a pop star like Justin, like taking that kind of risk. And I do think credit is owed to him on that. You know, I think we've spent a lot of time talking about the way that Justin has sort of lucked into some of his success. When I was listening to Future Sex Love Sound just now, I was like, I'm impressed by the audacity that he brought to that in terms of pushing himself and the role that he was playing in pop. I think he saw himself in in a good way in the lineage of a Michael or Prince in that way of like, as the preeminent pop star of the day, there was sort of a missive that he fulfilled on that album to push pop music forward. And it really did that. They achieved that on that album. Yeah. I, I want to quote from uh, the Pitchfork review of Future Sex Love Sounds, who's, which was written by a writer named Tim Finney, who's a friend of mine, who's a, an incredible critic and writer uh, from Australia. But you know, he writes in the first paragraph of the review, he says, uh, according to the laws of momentum which govern pop music, any sequel could only be either a pale reflection or a hub hubristic monstrosity. 
with mm. future sex love sounds, he unrepentantly chose the latter. Of course, he's referring to Justified and how you follow up that album. And in his words, uh, Tim Finney's words, Justin chose the hubristic monstrosity path. And that's really what the record is. I mean, it's eight minute songs. Like it's, it would have been easier for him to not do this kind of record um, and to spawn a bunch of hit singles from it. I mean, this is kind of like what we expect from our top tier pantheon pop stars is to make right. an album that is eight minute songs and interludes and very idiosyncratic, but could also work as three minute pop songs on the radio. Mm. And Future Sex Love Sounds almost objectively and arguably works in both, you know, check both of those boxes. Um, Absolutely. And it is the reason why I think we see, you know, why, or at least the way we saw Justin as the sort of premier musical innovator of pop in that moment in a way that speaks to his actual, what he was bringing to the table. I don't think that you could make an album like Future Sex Love Sound without the artists themselves wanting to take that kind of leap and wanting to take that risk and seeing themselves as playing that role in the broader pop landscape. And I think he's owed credit for that, especially in a moment now where many of his actual achievements have been diminished you know, rightfully so in most instances, especially when sort of contrasted with the way that his female compatriots were treated by him and others. But I do think that is important to say, along with the fact that I really want to put a fine point on the way that this album hangs together as an album. I mean, this thing works together as a complete aesthetic idea. And that sort of continues the narrative we were getting at earlier about Timberlake as sort of an album auteur and that being one of his ace cards. So I think, um, you know, I guess the point that I just want to close this future sex discussion on is, as I think most of this audience will be aware, this becomes the biggest record of that time. Justin was the biggest pop star in the world, period, at this time. The album had, uh, I think, four or five top 10 singles, three number ones, huge success. And then Justin does something that is almost unheard of in pop music and literally disappears and doesn't make another record for, I think, seven years, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, it would be something like that, right? Six, seven years, yeah. Yeah. So in 2013, he releases this album, The 2020 Experience, where seven years removed from Future Sex. We've gone through the entire EDM, rise and crash of the EDM boom. And he releases this album that is a sort of lush throwback soul and R&B album filled with eight minute sort of ornate songs produced by Timberland. That feels, I almost thought, largely sort of devoid of space and time in the sense that they're not fully in conversation, these songs, with anything that's either happened in the seven-year interim between Future Sex Love Sounds and this record, nor anything that's in the current landscape. These songs have nothing to do with Lady Gaga. They have nothing to do with Katy Perry, nor do they have much to do with contemporary hip-hop. They sound almost in a world unto themselves, which I think created sort of the album to feel like a novelty at the time or sort of not a head scratcher because the music is very sort of straightforward and and competent but it's also sort of completely out of the context of pop almost in the opposite way where future sex love sound had sort of defined 
the context of pop. Yeah, I I agree with you entirely, and I think I think that aspect of it is it ages the album well. Now, honestly, you know, I think you know at the time the album came out, like a the pop landscape had shifted in, in many ways. Like he was no longer a cool person, as we've already talked about. Right. But you know, it, it was obvious when the album when Twenty Twenty Experience came out, the degree to which they were attempting to recreate the magic of future sex love sounds and the structure the fact that there are interludes i i think i think listening back to it though to your point um it feels kind of unstuck in time and also if like now it's like wow they really kind of have a specific thing here that right. they have created and they're continuing to work this it's right. not as good as future sex love sounds but i, I right. do think that like it, it it gets at this kind of just like really like big budget kind of very precise like very rhythmic and kind of shifting with the interludes like it just kind of it it, it hits it hits something that not a lot of albums do or try yeah. to do it's that uh, auteur and, it's that auteur statement thing again i mean they it's like yeah, i exactly. really do feel like he takes this sort of album as art thing very seriously but the other thing that i sort of walked away from thinking about was he's a very benign presence on these songs in a way that i think is part of what sort of presages his slide because i think you can only sort of go like the 2020 is a very enjoyable album to listen to in many ways but you're not really getting very much like they're, they we're not peeling the onion any further in a sense on who Justin is. And I do think that pop artists, when they reach that phase in their career, I mean, at the time that 2020 came out, Justin had been in our lives for, you know, 15 years. Like you start to crave something more about them. And I think even though 2020 is an expertly made album, you don't get much more from Justin that you didn't already sort of know about him. You get the showman, you get the kind of album auteur creating this these eight-minute songs, but the onion isn't being peeled any further. And I think we almost, it's like, and, and I and I feel this way sort of looking forward. Of course, we I don't even want to talk about 2020 Part 2, but I mean, like, you definitely see this on, feel this on Man of the Woods. It's like, you almost hit a wall with, like, how deep this man can go. And even though he's able to use that to his advantage early in his career, I do think it sort of is why he hasn't been able to turn the key fully on this sort of second decade of solo success in a way. You know what I mean? You know, for sure. And, and the fact that they released a part two of 2020 just really makes it evident the degree to which they were edging up against the wall or the line of this particular project, just right. of Timbaland and Timberlake together. They had given it a good, like we were saying, six, seven years, like almost, yeah. almost a good part of a decade. They, they kind of like just reached the limit of what they could do with right. that. And right. Timberlake really kind of reached the limit of what he had to say about himself what he had to say musically or like does he know how like is there it's like is there something deeper there or is it really that he's just not that deep that's like one thing that i yeah, kept thinking about when i was listening for sure to and and he's not and and you know you, you the pleasures of 2020 are all oral um, yes 100 percent. a-u-r-a-l not o-r-a-l uh, yeah, yeah. Timber- the pleasures Mi- of future sex love sounds is oral O R A L, and the pleasures of this <laughs> album are A U R A L yeah. oral. Um, but you know, it's it's still really like don't hold the wall. Um, you right. know, to me, strawberry bubblegum. Oh, the best outro, song on the album. Best song. On yeah, the, the out the outro, strawberry bubblegum. They really hit on like minimal, like lush, airy 
kind of um, R&B ballad yes. uh, at the end of that song that it's yes. like damn like they still kind of had something That, uh, the 2020 experience ends up being a sort of modest, critical, but, you know, fairly robust commercial success. It spawns a couple of hit songs, Suit and Tie and Mirror, it, Mirrors, and it sells well. I just think that the numbers of it are a little bit misleading in the sense that the impact of it feels so slight compared to his Imperial couple of records in the 2000s. And I do think while you can't call it a flop, it does sort of mark the beginning of an unraveling for Justin. About another year later, he releases a second part of 2020 that produces no hits and sells less than a fourth of the copies of the original 2020. And then Justin, you know, again, recedes as a musician for six years. He takes another extremely long break. And by break, I think we all know that Justin acts, does SNL, he has other things going on. But in terms of being a musician, he more or less disappears yet again and comes back in 2018 with an album, which is a return to working with Pharrell Timberland does some songs, but mostly it's a Pharrell album called Man of the Woods, which is supposed to be sort of like a nod to country incorporated with pop and disco and the stuff that Justin normally does. And it is an utter dud, complete critical failure, commercial failure. Uh, and I find it to be quite unlistenable and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I guess I'll give you one beat here to riff on uh, what's going on on Man of the Woods if if we have to. It, it is. It really spells out explicitly like how the degree to which all the people involved are retracing their steps yeah. and just the, the, the source of inspiration that, that Timberlake has as a musician yeah. is really pretty limited because he, he keeps just going in circles. The only thing that that's new is this country thing and some blues aspects, which it's kind of like these very obvious, like, you know, it's almost like if you were making a cake or something and you had made the same cake and you tried yeah. to like throw in a new ingredient yeah. and like you didn't really conceptualize anything new except you no. just threw in a new ingredient and then you taste yeah. the cake and you're like, this actually isn't just very good. And, yeah. you know, so it's like they, they didn't really have anything else to say. And it was, you know, I think, team. yeah, even if you think of like his troll song. Yeah, I can't stop the feeling. And frankly, shame on me for thinking we would get through this conversation without talking about that damn song. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, like, let me do like the most generic, like, animated movie soundtrack song like he just mm -hmm. he whatever whatever pulse he was on for you know a good eight nine ten years there in spanning the end of the you know 90s into the 2000s into the mid 2000s like he completely lost his ability to find that pulse whatsoever. Yeah, and, and I think there's something almost sort of poetic and Shakespearean and sad in the sense of sort of this, of can't stop the feeling, which is like what I think we should sort of end and our, this part of our discussion on, which is the fact that like after sort of like working so hard to break free from Max Martin at the beginning of his career and create this sort of artistic credibility that drove the peak of his fame, he really had to kind of go back to him almost in a sense with his tail between his legs in order to find one last sort of saccharine pop hit in Can't Stop the Feeling. And it was kind of his swan song almost in a sense. I mean, we'll see what happens, but Can't Stop the Feeling is like both, yes, he got another number one, but sort of like at what cost, you know what I mean? I shouldn't do, but you dance, 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 dance. 
So when we're talking about the Pantheon, and, and I, you know, my listeners will be sick of hearing me explain this, but I'll do it anyway. This is, you know, I, I, I can't help but sort of hold Beyonce up as sort of a foil for Justin in a certain way because their careers run on simultaneous timelines. And Beyonce has so expertly and fluidly been able to morph her career when she needed to in order to sort of like keep unlocking new eras and phases of bringing people in, making an impact and creating work that that revealed in continuing layers of depth. In a contrast to Justin Timberlake, and this is the reason that Beyonce, I believe, is a tier one artist, is when Beyonce sort of hit a wall with her initial pop run, you know, in the at the end of the 2010s, she was able to radically reimagine what she was doing as an artist and re-engage the public in a way that was somehow even bigger than what she had going on before even as it divorced itself from sort of needing to have radio hits or needing to be trendy, it was a genuinely genius thing that she did. And Justin is sort of a an absolute sort of foil to that in the sense of like, he kind of continued to drive at the same point. So it's like, I guess the debate for me is, is Justin in tier two or is Justin in tier three? Because I have trouble understanding whether we can sort of credit the NSYNC thing as part of his solo placement so then if you're looking at it that way if you're breaking down it that way if tier two is about artists that sort of have these 10 to 15 plus year runs of hits you know multiple phases of relevance where they sort of completely reimagine what they're doing justin really because of the amount of time he took off in between future sex and 20 20 it's really just those first two albums i mean i guess you could kind of include 2020 it was a successful album it had a couple of hits but like it's really confined to a you know eight to ten year let's say period of hits and there's no radical musical change or approach or reinvention that is there obviously post the pretty effective one he pulled off moving from NSYNC to the solo career. So in a way that almost makes me want to keep him in tier three with like the Katy Perry's of the world. But then when I sort of think about how incredibly impactful and innovative and huge future sex love sounds was, that's the thing that sort of makes me want to edge him up. And the fact that like, for better or worse, 2020 was a successful album and he continues to be a pretty big star. So it's hard for me. To, that's where that's where my mind's at with it. Yeah, you know. Where, where are you at? I, I, I've been thinking about whether you could tell a history of pop music with with that. Like how integral is Justin Timberlake to the musical story mm. of pop music. I yeah. mean, obviously, if you were writing about the celebrity aspect of pop music, be it would be very difficult to leave him out. But you could kind of give a, a, a pretty good overview of what was happening in the early 2000s and leave him out. You could obviously include him, and you would include him, but it's is, is he, are those singles like incredibly integral to telling the story, the musical story of that time i could see the argument for yes i mean you know they were huge singles jordan i'm interested in you saying that to be honest i know i mean i, I I'm, I'm i'm intrigued because i don't think that i don't think that i could tell the story because i do it's it's because of what i said which is that like i it, it was so integral to setting up that edm boom yeah. that like which is you can't tell the story of pop for without sure. that story and to me that is it's the linchpin so how could you not really? yeah you know i think like I, what are you going to skip you would skip right to blackout or something like that I, you know i think to me it's almost like i consider that mid 2000 mid yeah 2000s part of pop to almost be this kind of like no man's land where 
the late 90s and the early 2000s are so defined. The music was so good. The sounds were so specific and, and so right. innovative. And, you know, you know what that sounds right. like. And then there is the period after Future Sex Love Sounds that we talked about with Lady Gaga, Rihanna, Katy Perry, etc. And And it almost feels like, to me, Future Sex Love Sounds exists in between these two eras. And it's like this really mm. highly specific 2005, 2006 time period where that album sonically is telling a story. Right. And if you were telling a very detailed history of pop music, you would probably want to get into that era. But yeah. if you were telling a more overarching story, a, a bridged version, but a still informative one, I do think you could kind of skip over Nelly Furtado and Justin Timberlake and Timbaland air. Oh, you could skip Nelly Furtado, no question. <laughs> you could skip Nelly Furtado, no question. And no knocks, I love Loose. But the thing is that I, I, I guess where the reason I don't feel that you could is because if you're telling that story, you have to help illustrate for people how we moved from sort of the hip hop and B yeah. of Jennifer Lopez to the ED, the the completely hip hop free sound of Katy Perry and Lady Perry Gaga. And Lady yeah. Gaga. And I think in order to do that, you have to move through Future Sex Love Sounds. It set that up. And I don't think that you have Blackout without it, which is another yeah. linchpin in that story. And you don't have the success of Don't Stop the For Music, sure. Rihanna's single, yeah. the Rihanna's kind of house EDM yeah. present single. You don't have The Way I Are, another big sort of yeah. linchpin in that story. You don't have a lot of these things. And I think you, it, you couldn't. And in that way, I don't really feel yeah. that you could leave I, it out. You know, I agree with you. I think um, at, at the end of the day, I, I I come down on the side of the argument that you're articulating here. You know, I just think that there is some sort of impermanence or just something about that era. It just doesn't, it just doesn't linger for me in the same way that the earlier era does. And I don't know, there's, there's something about Timberlake where I, I want to put him in tier three. I think he's really straddling the line. And I think the in sync conversation is so important yeah. here because obviously it's completely right. impossible to tell the story of the late nineties of late nineties pop music from an art on an artistic level without talking about boy bands and without talking about in sync. And Timberlake obviously had a huge role in that and all the stuff that we talked about earlier in the podcast about how he emerged from that and his hand in writing those songs and his artistic vision. Like to me, the greatest argument for Timberlake as tier two is including in sync. But if we're just, if we're starting with justified and, yeah, and yeah, going yeah. from there, you know, I think, I, I yeah, think yeah. he's slipping into tier three. And the thing right. is he's really boring as a, a celebrity too, which is the other aspect of it. So boring. I'm with you 100% on all of this. A, I want to address whether we shoot, do include NSYNC. And in a way, I think we kind of can't not because it's such an important part of his story and we don't even get justified in the way that we knew it without that. So that's sort of one thing that's I'm, I'm tinkering with. And the other thing is that if tier three artists, you know, are at a point in their career uh, for the ones that are sort of uh, frozen in amber at this point, that like when they release an album now, you know, it's just makes no impact. Like I think Justin Timberlake, if he announced an album 
tomorrow. I'm not saying the album would be a smash success, but I think that that would be a huge thing that people would be interested in talking about more than some of the, the three, the tier three years that are frozen. Yeah. And you know, know I I think, I think though, it's like, it's really this shared cultural history and memory that us as millennials have for Timberlake and the further that we get from that and the further that other younger voices generations are enter into this wonderful ongoing discussion about pop music that we all participate in a macro level like it's going to be harder and harder to make the case for Timberlake as an interesting figure because it really was of a place and of a time I started thinking about the, time, the timeless aspect of certain pop stars. I mean, this is obviously what knocks him out of tier one. I, I don't, I agree. We both agree he wouldn't even be in the discussion right. for tier one. But, you know, I, I feel like the arguments for tier two, it's like, are, are going to die with the millennial. It, it's, you know, this is, this is, this is a secret that's dying with us. It's an argument that's dying with us. This like Justin Timberlake as like a tier two star. I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty foreign. Every day that goes on, the, this yeah. argument loses more and more of its potency, you know? Yeah. And that's, and, and it's like, that's on a musical level. And I think in terms of the cultural reassessment that happened that we now sort of think about as the Super Bowl and him as like a villain. Of, co- of course, of course, it's it's way. not. And, you know, I think his legacy, you know, is is going to be less and less musical as time wears on. And it's going to be more in the kind of shadow of Britney and Janet. And he he's going right. to, I think, continue to kind of be this avatar for privilege and male pop stardom. Wow. OK, so we're doing this tier. Th- we're, we're putting him in three. I, you know, I, you had sort of convinced me. I, I think it's a provisional. I think it's like a tier two with like a. Yeah, you but know. he's like in deep shit, basically. Like the con- your con- like, yeah, the contract is up. Like you know, like there's a yeah. there's an end date here to this engagement, and like it's you know, it's like uh, actually, it's like uh, you know, Justin Timberlake's a big golfer. Like when you hit a certain age and yeah. on the as a golfer, they move you move you to like the yeah. senior tour, and it's like you kind of know ah, when your time not on the, the main thing. Tour. So like I feel like Timberlake is like he's gonna be moved to tier three at a certain date. Like we kind of just know it's all. So there. he's like, a, he's a, he, he's a tier two sinker, sinking a tier two sinking. Exactly. He's 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 cycling out like of of tier two, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's it. So I want to send us out here on a highlight from Justin's imperial phase. This is uh, Love Stoned, the last single from Future Sex Love Sound and more specifically the outro, which is sort of this indie rock indebted beautiful piece of music that he and Timberland created that I think represents one of the highlights of their collaboration together and one of the greatest things that Justin Timberlake ever made as a musician. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. This was incredible. We we won't put the whole interview in there, but Jordan literally just sat here with me for two and a half hours and had this conversation. I'm so grateful. You're a wealth of knowledge and I hope you'll come back and do this again with me sometime. Please, I would love to. Um, It was wonderful. Thank you and thanks for listening. All right, guys, Justin Timberlake is in tier two, sinking. He's in trouble. I think he's clinging on there to tier two for now. But uh, yeah, a really interesting case study, I think, in the way that without an artist really even doing much, their cultural standing can really shift 
and Justin is very much someone that, not that he didn't do anything and didn't actively participate in some of the darker narratives that have come to haunt him now, but I think the way we saw those things has shifted so greatly since they happened that it's uh, pretty fascinating to see, considering if you grew up with Justin, you know what a big star he was and to sort of see how he's thought of now is hard to stomach as a fan, but exciting to see culture moving forward and protecting some of the people that he did participate in causing harm to. So that doesn't diminish how great Future Sex Love Sounds is, how great Justified is. Highly recommend you go listen to them all. I want to say thank you so much to Jordan Sargent. This was an incredible episode, incredible conversation. There's literally enough in here that we could do an entire second episode. I, I'll save that maybe for the uh, blooper roll sometime down the road. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit subscribe. Give me five stars. Follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at DJ Louie XIV, L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V, and Twitter, DJ Louie, L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V. And I will see you guys in two weeks for another episode. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.